So I've been a pastor 37 years, and I'm fairly confident that I have never preached on that passage from Numbers before. Can you see why? It has a lot of problems if you start dealing with it. You go, you modern people, we say, well, this is in a pre-scientific age, and it's full of um, magical thinking, and uh, there's not much majesty involved in that, and it's... Uh, full of superstition, and there's not much salvation in that. And, and Hillary was really glad when we had this passage, right, so that you, <laughs> so you could tell children about it. No, you avoided it completely because it, it's, it's a difficult passage uh, here in Numbers. It's not for kids. It's not for kids. Uh, I, well, we'll try to do a little work on it here. So um, if you'll stay with me just for a few moments during this message, I, I think there might be some relevance to our life today. And it sure does connect well with that John passage. So here's the context. As uh, the Hebrews remember their history, uh, they remembered that they were set free by the Lord God out of bondage in Egypt, and they've been wandering in the wilderness for a long time, and God has been providing for them. And God even last week provided the 10 best ways to live and has provided for them food and water, and yet the people have grown impatient. Are we there yet? I know you've never said that, right? Uh, you're on a trip, and the kids in the back seat say, are we there yet? And sometimes even in the church we say this too. Why? Are we there yet? Have we, have we accomplished all that? Have we gotten that done? So, can, smile, people. I mean, is, is this, have you ever heard this word before? Do you? The word for impatient there in Hebrew, you know how I love to do the language stuff, means this, short of soul. <laughs> short of soul. Uh, it's, it's actually literally this. <sighs> There's no breath in me. I, <laughs> I can't stand it any longer. Can you, can you do that? Can you practice that? Can you hear that? <gasps> okay. Have, have you ever done that? Have you ever become impatient? Um, with somebody, with God? Uh. <gasps> all right. So can you see there's some relevance maybe in this story after all? Okay, so we're moving on here. And it says the people spoke against God and Moses. Why did you bring us out here? To kill us? Uh, there's no food. There's no water for us. And we're tired of that food. They, they uh, actually admit that there has been food, daily food, daily manna provided by God. And we're sick of this miserable food, they say. Um, I know that we have never uh, said anything like that to God or to another person, right? That, that they've disappointed us, that we're tired of them. Um, and they say, we had it better back in Egypt. Remember when we were slaves? Oh, they forgot. <laughs> how hard it was back in Egypt that they were slaves and they had to go further and further to get the stuff to make the bricks and that their taskmasters made it harder and harder on them. Uh, we have selective memory, don't we, sometimes? Uh, the good old days. If we only could go back to Egypt, yeah? If we could only go back to the 50s, church, you know, when... Uh, Right? When, when it was just so easy, we would just uh, build a church next to a school, and there was parking there, and uh, families would see that we're there, and they would just come in with their children and their youth, and we'd do uh, programming on Sunday nights for the youth, and we'd just fill up the place, and those days are gone. 
And we forget sometimes about the downside of the 50s when we were not exactly fully open and inclusive to all kinds of people and we could be a little bit narrow, right? So sometimes the church, we want to go back and it's not always the ideal world that we remember. We used to do it this way, we say in the church, and maybe that used to be way is not the way to go into God's future. And then what do we do? We blame. We blame others. We blame God. My last semester in seminary, I worked as a chaplain at Parkland Hospital, and there would be these situations that would come in, and the head chaplain taught me very quickly that people would want to do this. Well, it was the doctor's fault. They messed up on that procedure. It it was the medicine's fault. They didn't have the right medicine prescribed. Or it was that other person's fault, and we want to point the finger, but we very rarely want to take responsibility for ourselves. I'm just telling what the Scripture says here. We we blame God, and we, we blame others. God, why did you let that happen? Why... Why did my son die in that terrible accident? Why was I diagnosed with cancer? Why We, we blame God, and, and we are good at blaming others. Uh, sometimes uh, we elect leaders to office, and then what do we do in politics? What do we do? What were they thinking, those crazy politicians? They're not doing the right thing. Huh? Am, am I speaking the truth here, or am I just up here talking? Huh? I'm, yeah. And and sometimes, uh, oh, let's see, better not be a coach in the state of Texas where, right? Pray pray for Rick Barnes right now in the bubble. (laughs) Talk about his team being on the bubble, going to the uh, NCAA uh, AA uh, March Madness. uh, But, uh, right? I mean, people second-guessing you all the time. Um, Oh, and I know we never do this to pastors. Preacher, why did you say that? Why did you do that? Where are you going? What's happening there? I I know you never, never pile on to preachers, right? Please. (laughs) Uh, And parents, I mean, they're they're perfectly without blame, right? Children, you three never, never say, why did you do that? Are you out to kill us? (laughs) And of course, in this story from Numbers, the Lord God is merciful and kind and forgiving. Did you read the story here in Numbers? What does God do? Snakes alive. (laughs) You saw the movie Snakes on the Plane? This is is now that other plane, Snakes on the P-L-A-I-N. Snakes on the Plane. God, thank you, thank you. I write my own material. So... God has sent snakes amongst the people, and it says in the scripture, many died. <laughs> they were poisonous snakes. Now, you know, in early October, friends, uh, that I oftentimes do a blessing of the animal service here. We remember St. Francis of Assisi, the one who preached to the animals and the birds, and I say, I welcome all animals except. Snakes. I do not like snakes. <laughs> May I tell you why I don't like snakes? And not just for the biblical reasons that are in this passage or from uh, our creation stories. When I was pastor in Portland, that's the church I served right before coming here, 
the church, right before we moved there, bought a parsonage on a golf course. We lived there 10 years. I played the course four times, I think, in the 10 years. But almost every morning early, I would get up and walk the golf course. And you know, there's these little orphan golf balls that were strays. And I, being the great humanitarian that I am, I would go around in the morning and I would pick up these golf balls. Smile, people. This is funny stuff. So, all right. So it was in the summer. Uh, we were about to host a family reunion. The Barton family was coming to Portland. And it was a Friday morning. I'll never forget. It was not quite light. The sun had not uh, gone gone up above the horizon. I was walking our little dog, our miniature schnauzer Fritz, on the golf course. I was coming up to the 18th hole, and there's a pond there, a water trap, and it has some brush around it, and there's one of those golf balls that needed to find a home. And so I reached down to get the golf ball, and pow, ouch, man, that hurt. And it was like my hand was on fire, and it instantly swelled up, and I nearly fainted but I walked. I finished my walk. I came back in. <laughs> Crazy. I know. I know. Male, Aggie, blame it on me. So I go back home and I go, honey, look at my hand. And, and, and let's take some Benadryl and try to get the swelling down. And let's take some aspirin to deal with the pain. Boy, it hurt. It's like my hand was on fire. Family union. Next day, my brother-in-law, who's an Aggie vet. That's almost as good as a doctor, isn't it? And <laughs> I showed him my hand, and I said, I think I was bitten by a scorpion, or maybe it was a wasp or something. He goes, let's take a look at that. And he goes, you have two fang marks in your hand. He said, I, I, it looks to me maybe that was a copperhead that, that got you, and it was probably young, and it was probably not fully venomed up, and it was not prepared to bite you. It was surprised as you were surprised. And that's probably what got you. I've been snake bit, folks, okay? <laughs> I do not like snakes. I tell you this story. The Hebrew word for poisonous can be translated as fiery. That's what it feels like to be snake bit. The Lord God, this case gave the people exactly what they deserved. <laughs> they had rebelled. They were uh, going their own way. And God sent snakes amongst them. Has God ever disciplined you? Have you ever gotten exactly what you deserved? Instead of the grace and mercy and forgiveness that I usually preach about up here, have you ever gotten exactly what you deserved? Have you ever been snake bit? Do you ever need to repent? Yeah. Here's the great thing, the turn in the story. The people go to Moses, their leader, and they say this, we sinned. We messed up. We repent. Plead for us. Moses, go to God and ask for forgiveness on our behalf. And here's the wonderful thing Moses did. The leader that they cussed out, that they blamed, was a big enough person to go before God and plead for the people. I don't know that I could do that. Could you? I mean, when, when you get chewed out by others, um, do you have that kind of bigness of heart, that forgiving? Yes. <laughs> Good. 
man, Moses goes to God and pleads for the people to take the snakes away. But, but that's not how God answers the prayer. God provides a way of relief. God says, take a poisonous snake and put it on a pole. And when the people look at it, they will be healed. Take this home, friends. God takes a symbol of death and turns it around and makes it into a symbol of life. We still do this today. Snakes on a pole. Can we see the slides? Some of you are in the medical profession. Some of you wear little pins that look like this. Am I right, Julia? Yeah? Huh? Doctors, nurses, paramedics, and you see signs on the ambulance and everything, and there will be a sign like this. It's not just our, our Hebrew Christian tradition, but from other traditions way, way back, snakes on a pole um, have been a symbol of healing. Okay, just, just to bring it into today. Here's the thing, too. God doesn't take the snakes away. Can I get an amen here? Huh? Don't you still have snakes in your life today? God says, look at the snake on a pole and be healed, but we still get bitten from time to time. Yeah. Look to the snake on the pole and live. God provides a way out even today. Now we come to the best promise of all, John 3.16. Let's show it on the screen. You've heard this verse before? Yes. For, yes, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. Can you say that deep in your heart? Can you say it out loud with me? Let's read this together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Can you take that to heart, that this is what God wants for you, the best promise? And as the passage in John said, Jesus is lifted up. And he's lifted up in two ways. Our Catholic friends have a particular cross. We're going to see it here for just a moment. If you've ever been to Seton Hospital, boy, you're lying in the bed and what's on the wall across from you is Jesus on the cross. And they really lift up the passion, the crucifixion of Christ, that Christ died for us. We Protestants, if you look at our cross, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, the glorification of Christ, the exaltation of Christ, both are true about being lifted up. This is the best promise that Jesus has been lifted up for us. He has suffered all that we suffer and he has been raised from the dead so that we may be raised from the dead. We are headed towards Easter in this Lenten season and the best promise of all is that God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son, that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. God loved the world. Yes, God loves you, but God loves the world. What kind of world? If you read John's gospel, the world is sort of a, a catchphrase for what is rebellious in us. It is all of that unrepentant, hostile, rejecting, crucifying, snake-infested world. That's what it means that God loves that world, this world that we live in, where we still get bitten by snakes. And God takes a symbol of death and turns it into a symbol of life. And when we look at this symbol, we are lifted up with Christ. The best promise is that we may have eternal life. If you read John's gospel closely, you will see that eternal life is not something in the sweet by and by, that eternal life means right now. It's not something you have to wait for. It is something that can be lived into right now. It is not a quantity of living. It is a quality of living we are lifted up with Christ. The best promise of all is that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. That's the good news I have to share with you this day. Amen.